What accountants do is they take everyday language and give it a specialized meaning, like expense or income. And then all of a sudden, everyone thinks, oh, yes, I know what that is. And accountants go, no, 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 that's not what an expense is. So we're taking very common language and using it in very specialized ways. Welcome to Change Your Mindset Podcast, where it's all about believing in and executing on different and innovative ways to strengthen both your leadership and communication skills to help increase your success, and especially in today's disruptive business environment. One of the most effective ways of building stronger leadership and communication skills is by embracing the principles of improvisation. (laughs) Yes, that's right, improv. Your host, Peter Margaritas, is an improv virtuoso. He's also a certified speaking professional and a CPA, also known as the Accidental Accountant. Each episode of Change Your Mindset is designed to bring you different and innovative ideas, thoughts, and behavioral changes on a variety of differing topics, with the sole purpose of strengthening your critical soft skills. We may call them soft skills, but they are the hardest to master. And when we do, greater success and growth is the result. So jump in and start changing your mindset now. Let's start the show. Do you think accounting can be fun? Is there a way to make accounting less boring and more engaging? Do you believe that learning accounting is actually easy and something that you should do? I bet you're listening and thinking, I must be out of my mind. Well, today, my guest, Toby York, is going to see if he can change your mindset about those three questions. By the way, this interview is not really aimed at accountants. It's aimed at all of you who are non-accountants and work for a living. It's also aimed at educators to make accounting friendlier for those non-accountants. Toby is the founder of AccountingCafe.org, a community for anybody who believes that accounting education can be an engaging and enjoyable experience for teachers and learners alike. He's a senior lecturer at Middlesex University Business School, teaching entrepreneurial finance and financial accounting. He is accredited color accounting trainer in higher education and commercial settings, as well as he's an advisor to the Color Accounting Foundation, and really an all-around Great guy. Before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. Please subscribe to and share this podcast episode with a friend. I would greatly appreciate your support. Also, please visit my YouTube channel, The Accidental Accountant, where you can see this video episode and several past podcast video episodes. And please subscribe to my YouTube channel. I would greatly appreciate it. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. This episode is sponsored by Peter A. Margaritas, LLC, also known as The Accidental Accountant. Are you looking for a speaker that can bring powerful content, virtually or in person or on-site, that is memorable and engaging in a way that motivates and inspires your audience? Instead of data dumping and numbing with numbers, imagine your people and teams delivering a financial story to your stakeholders, a story that creates engaging and relationship-building business conversations. Would you be interested in learning more about how that is accomplished? 
How would you feel if the value your facilitator provided your organization far exceeded the dollar amount on their invoice? Peter Margaritas, CPA and Certified Speaking Professional, delivers all of the above and much, much more. All of Peter's programs can be done virtually, in person and on site at your location, or at an off-site venue. Send Peter a note at peter at petermargaritas.com and or visit his website at www.petermargaritas.com to learn more about what Peter can bring to your next conference, management retreat, or workshop. Now, let's get to the interview with Toby. Hey, welcome back, everybody. My guest today is Toby York, and he's not your stereotypical, we'll call him an accounting lecturer, an accounting instructor over in the UK at Middlesex University. Toby looks at the way accounting is taught. Uh, we need some work to do to kind of clean it up so the students can have a better understanding and uh, of what we're trying to communicate and what they can do with the power of accounting, as well as businesses, business managers who don't have that accounting background. But first and foremost, uh, happy afternoon to you. It's I think it's like 314 in the UK, which 914 here. Nope, that was six hours. It's 214. It's just coming up to quarter past two. Yeah, I, I could tell by your eyes you would no, you don't know your time zones, Pete. <laughs> We're five, not nine, six. But thank you for taking time out of your schedule uh, to be on my podcast today, Toby. Well, thank you for having me, Peter. It's, uh, it's a delight to be here. We go back about two months, formally meeting. We've met kind of through the color accounting sphere, and I've, I've heard your name nauseous amounts of time from everybody there, just singing your praises and loving did everything. You say that nauseous you do. amounts of time. <laughs> You did. I did. Just, just, just for a little humor, for a little, <laughs> little laugh. And, and we were uh, at uh, in a course and in a group. And after hearing you in this, I just came fascinated. You, you get it. You get the fact that the way we teach accounting to non-accountants in the business world and non-accountants at the university level, it, it's, it's like we're trying to make more CPAs. So, but. I get, I get ahead of myself. Thank you for taking time. I did a busy schedule to be with me. It's a pleasure. And I think I just did that twice. That's okay. I'm just happy that you're here, Toby. Me too. I'm, I'm delighted again to be here. I, I think I got a case of the nerves. What's going on with me today? <laughs> or, or just lack of sleep. One of the three. <laughs> Maybe I'm intimidating. I've been told I can be intimidating. I'll try and, uh, I'll try and relax too. <laughs> I've never been told that, and thank goodness, because I kind of scare myself. I don't want to scare others. <laughs> so in, in this color accounting world and, and your role at Middlesex University, and also the curator of Accounting Cafe, you talk about this issue of why are we, why are we teaching accounting the same way we did basically in the 70s and 80s and 90s, with jargon and, and, and just not really looking at what it really is. So can you expound on that? Oh, gosh, well, that's a, that's a kind of PhD, isn't it, Peter? You're at a university, that's close enough. Well, if I, if I look back at the way I was taught accounting, mm -hmm. it was taught very much as a functional skill. 
And, and, you know, we were taught, you know, you debit this and you credit that. And I remember asking questions like, well, why does that have a debit and this one has a credit? And, you know, you never really got a, a straight answer as to why certain things were debited and other things were credited. And I remember one teacher saying, listen, debit the window, credit the door, you know, because the window was on the left of the classroom and the door was on the right. And, and that, was a, that was about the extent of the explanation that you got. And I think if, you know, if we want to have meaningful learning, there has to be some kind of understanding of the why. You know, it's not just about what and how, it's the why. Why, why are these things the way they are? Why is the accounting framework such as it is? Why are debits on the left and credits? I mean, there isn't a good answer to debits on the left, credits on the left. <laughs> but why are, there, why are there these two sides and, and, and what do they mean? And I think being an accounting educator in the broadest sense of the world, word is an exploration of, of how to deliver that in engaging and meaningful ways for whoever is interested. So how did you discover color accounting? I, I, I think I heard that you were having a conversation with a colleague and you got a little frustrated and went out on searching for something. Well, I was my, my most of my teaching career has been spent at the other end of the student journey. Most of it has been spent with postgraduates or those just about to graduate, and I, I was getting a little bit sort of cobwebby with all of that. I was thinking <laughs> I need a bit of a change, so I asked uh, my head of department, "Can I teach entry level accounting? I'd really like to teach the first years before they know anything. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to teach." And she, she arranged that for me. And, and I, I, as part of my preparation, I started playing around with this idea. And I was talking to a colleague and I, we were saying, look, there's just five boxes, isn't there? There's just yeah. five boxes. Really, this is just an organizing system. And you just have to decide which of the five boxes does something end up in when you're recording. And it was on the back of that that I started doing a bit of Googling. And I came across the color accounting learning system. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, it didn't, didn't mean a huge amount to me, but I thought, yes, that's what I meant. You know, you know what it's like when you've had a good idea and you see somebody else got there first, it, it becomes yours. And so I said, well, that's what I meant. So therefore it's fair if I use that. So I, so I, I downloaded that and I repurposed it. I sort of created some PowerPoint slides using, using the color accounting learning system accounting framework took it into the classroom without really much sort of planning or preparation or thought. And then after a few weeks, this thing started getting under my skin. I was thinking, oh, no, there's, there's more to this, actually. This is orthodox. This isn't just a way of presenting it. This is it. You know, and and it, start, it really started growing on me. So I gave, I gave Peter Frampton, our good friend, I gave him a call and I said, look, Peter, I've been using your accounting framework system and blah, blah, blah. And I you know, I've just nicked it, basically, mm -hmm. stolen it pinched it. And, uh, you know, he was very, very generous. He said, well, that's fantastic. That's really good news. So happy to hear that it's being used in classrooms. Here's a load more material. Let's keep the conversation going. And I'm now about to start my fourth year of running color accounting in a quite a big undergraduate program. So generally speaking, we have about 500 students a year going through the color accounting program at Middlesex in its various campuses. So that Having spent time in a, in a higher education, how were you able to get color accounting embedded into the beginning accounting class uh, that probably had thick books and this is the way we've always done it? How did you, <laughs> how did you sell this to the university? 
Well, you've worked at a university, haven't you, Peter? So these things have to be done with huge amounts of perseverance and stealth. <laughs> Initially, we just used online materials, PowerPoint mm. slides and, mm. and whatever. I then persuaded my head of department, who's been amazingly supportive, to use the large majority of her learning and development budget for the department to buy color accounting packs. Uh, and we did that, I think, for one or two years. And then she said, look, this, the, you know, Toby, we can't keep using the whole learning and development budget on your packs for your students. It's for the whole department. And again, we, we actually have quite a uh, progressive and forward-looking library. I mean, as you know, libraries in universities are, are actually pretty important departments. They're, yeah. they're headed by generally pretty high-caliber people. Uh, they have huge budgets. So I went to the library and I said, look, this is what I want to do. And they said, great, that's fine. So now the library buys the packs. The library buys an electronic version of uh, the book, The Joy of Accounting, and we're up and running and we're away. Every student, we post out a pack to them at the beginning of uh, term when we're online, or they come on campus and uh, they pick up their pack when they're with us. And we work, through the, we work through the pack during induction. I have about two or three hours over two days on each of those days, deliver them deliver the majority of the program, and then the rest of it is embedded. So we use it throughout our accounting program. So when we're doing financial analysis, we're still using the accounting framework. We're doing consolidations, we're using the accounting framework. So we have a kind of big start, and then it's got a long tail. That's great, I mean, because it's only five, it's only one of five places, one of five buckets. Yeah. And, yeah, so I still, I can still see myself when I saw the demonstration in Maryland. And Mark Robiliard was leading the, the, and Craig was there. And I started bouncing. I got a master's degree in accounting. I started bouncing in my chair. And Mark says, You okay, Pete? You found the secret sauce. Because, same thing, it started growing. I mean, immediately it just started growing because no one had ever taught me in my yeah. years of accounting this way. And this is a simple way of looking at a very, and we just make it very complex because of the jargon and stuff. But they were able to cook it down to its most, to its most basic, simple needs and can explain it, to, I think, to almost anybody who will just listen and get past that accounting has a very bad image. You know, students would rather have a root canal without, without Novocaine than take an accounting course. It's getting past that hurdle and not making it so fearful. And they've actually done it. Yeah, they have. And it's really interesting to hear them talk about it because now they talk about it almost as if they've discovered it, which is like all great things, you know. Right. And, and you know, I've, I've had time to sort of reflect quite deeply using it in an educational setting. And as you know, I've, I've looked at various aspects of this from an educational, psychological point of view, looking at, you know, why it's so successful. And there are good pedagogical reasons why this works. We were talking about one earlier, which was uh, this idea of dual coding, you know, which, is, which is a powerful educational tool that we can use where you combine pictures with words. And, and you know, the, 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 the psychology of this is that words and pictures are stored differently in your brain. And therefore, if you use words and pictures, it, it, it strengthens long-term learning and it, it, it improves the speed at which people can pick up complex concepts. And I, I think that's something that's been very underrated in the world of accounting. What's the picture? Show me the picture. And I think one of the other issues with, uh, with the color accounting learning system, it almost looks too simple. You sort of look at it and you kind of go, yeah, whatever. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah, I understand that. But once you use it, once you see people discovering accounting with it in, in commercial training courses or in, I, I've taken it into high schools or in, in universities, it's powerful. It's very, very powerful. Yeah, I think I shared the story with you that a colleague of mine, I was explaining to her that I brought color accounting into my business model. So I thought, I'm not going. I, mean, I, I, I don't like accounting. I, I need to know about it. I like it. I was, I'm terrible in math. You hear that all the time. And I made her a bet. Take the course two hours a week for three weeks, start to the six hours. If you found absolutely no value, I'll refund your money plus 10%. So we went to the first two hours. Then at the beginning of the class of the second, at the beginning of the second class, I said, any comments? And she, I just thought, goes, I've woken up every morning thinking about my balance sheet. What in the <laughs> hell have you done to me? <laughs> for, for this person who really didn't think she could ever understand accounting, got Damn. through the six hours, and she wants to learn more. And she's blowing her mind away by one. And, and she started she started asking the right questions to her CPA. Started asking the right questions to her financial planner. Or, or saying, look, you speak in a foreign language. Tell me in English. Tell me in plain English what you're trying to say. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and she's like a whole world that just opened completely up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's getting past that image of, of accounting. And you see it in action in a classroom. You see it in action all around. Uh, and, and you write about it. You speak about it. Uh, and, and if you want to, it's Accounting Cafe org right right so go to accountingcafe.org and root around and especially if you're an accounting educator root around and look what he's look what toby's and his group have been posting out there and he does have monthly like seminars or webinars when he brings guests in to have this conversation online yeah i mean look it's difficult teaching accounting you need a willing student in commercial training, generally, you've got willing students, not always. In, <laughs> in higher education and high school settings, less so. So I think one of the tools that you need is enthusiasm. And when it comes to accounting, as people who know me, I mean, I know this, this is actually a, this is a bit sad to admit, I love accounting. You know, I'm very, very enthusiastic about it. You know, one of the interesting things about accounting is that it's, it's probably one of the most important social technologies we've ever invented. The other really interesting thing about accounting, according to an academic, Schmant Besserat, uh, she's an archaeologist, funnily enough. I mean, this is typical. It actually takes an archaeologist to tell accountants how important accounting is. She was doing some work on these little small clay tokens. I don't know if you've come across her book before writing. It's a wonderful book. She came across these small clay objects, and they're spread all the way from Turkey all the way to what's modern-day Syria, Iraq, Iran, right the way across the Levant. And she said there are just too many of them. They'd always been written off as like sort of, oh, they must have been play tokens, or maybe they were some kind of coinage or whatever. And she goes, no, 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 no. She posited that actually they were, they were accounting tokens. So these tokens themselves, they date back about 10,000 years. So in her book, what she's saying is that these tokens reflect an archaic mode of concrete counting. So you'd have so many clay objects of a particular type that would represent so many sheep in a field or cartons of oil or whatever it was that you know they wanted to account. So what's extraordinary about accounting is that it probably predates literacy and numeracy. In fact, it was out of accounting 
that numeracy became a necessity. And it was out of numeracy that literacy became a necessity. So of all those massively important social technologies, reading, writing, arithmetic, it's the reckoning, the accounting that, that started. And, and that, I, think that's, I think that's pretty exciting. I think that's quite a fun thing to, to think about. I, I am going to post this video on YouTube. And for those of you who are listening right now, Go watch the video and listen to this conversation. His eyes are sparkling. And he's got, <laughs> he's got this great big smile. He loves accounting. And, and, and I, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. If I was taught in my undergraduate program this view of it from the color accounting approach, I would have loved it as well. But I dropped out of accounting and once I got to intermediate. And I, when I went back and got my master's degree in accounting, I had to take all the undergraduate. But I was never in love with it. I could do it because I, I, could, I could study. I studied a lot and I could take tests. But I, I, there was never that real love. But now that it's crystal clear, the power of it, what it can do, and it can be taught to pretty much anybody, I'm right there with you. Also, Peter, the other, the other thing is it's important that it's taught to everybody. You know, this is, this is you know, it's no accident that these, these instruments of civilization came out of accounting. And now we kind of disregard it. It's a poor cousin to other disciplines. You know, <laughs> kind of, oh, oh, I don't know what to do. Oh, I'll do accounting. You know, but actually, accounting is fundamentally important to how you relate to the world. I mean, I'm not saying that you know, our, our economic being is the only kind of being that matters. But actually, if you have a good sense of accounting, you have a good sense of financial literacy. You know, you, you, you don't really understand financial literacy. You don't really, you know, pensions, interest rates, wh wh whatever it might be, <laughs> unless you have a foundational understanding of accounting. And, and I think that, you know, this accounting framework that we talk, keep talking about has a really important application to applying it to yourself. You know, your personal assets, your personal obligations and equity becomes your personal wealth. And what activities are you doing that are increasing your wealth and what activities are you incurring that, that decrease your wealth? You know, it, these are important social skills that, that everybody should be aware of. And, and so accessibility and enthusiasm and engagement are important things as, as part of um, making that come true. Yeah, and Keller County does have a financial literacy arm to it, headed by Mark Robilliard, who's trying to get that word out in, in essence. He's getting that, accounting literacy out as a, uh, yeah, yeah, with, right. with the Accounting Literacy Foundation, yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and you're right. So we, we talk about business acumen. You get great business acumen. But in order to have business acumen, you have to have a foundation of accounting acumen. Right. Right. And then from that grows finance, finance acumen. Right. Financial literacy. And once you have those two, then you can put the business acumen because that constitutes pretty much everything else that you're viewing from the organizational perspective. And, right. and, we, and we talk about we want to grow our business acumen. But most people don't know how to do that. And it really starts, just taking the time, starts with the basic foundation, yeah. then growing it into financial, understanding what, you know, I've always said that numbers don't move by themselves. A five is not theater one day. Today I'm a five, tomorrow will be a seven. Then we'll go do a three the next day. No. <laughs> people move the numbers. There's a story inside those numbers. We'll find it. Go tell the story. That's part of business acumen, the ability to tell that story. Someone else who understand who who can understand what you're trying to communicate to them. I think that's something that you understand really well, Peter, isn't it? That actually, you know, account is another word for story. 
if you ask somebody to give an account, you're asking them to tell the story. And you know that that kind of gets lost. Again, we we restrict accounting. We're focused on accounting standards and whether it should be treated this way or that way. It's a functional or technical skill, and we've forgotten the art of storytelling. Financial statements tell stories. Accounts tell stories. That's you know, and that and, and what, you know, as you know, that's what humans love. Humans love stories. Humans love so everybody stories. can love accounting. If you love a story, you love accounting. And especially if you if you're in a business, you're running a business, you're responsible for some part of the budget of your business, you should, you need to learn the basics foundation of this in order to be one, a good steward to the organization. Because your responsibility as that steward of that organization is to grow the assets and keep those assets safe. Think yeah. about that for a moment first. And then your responsibility and then go in and understand so you can tell that story. It's a great story. I mean, think about, think about I, you know, I, love teach, I used to love teach financial analysis. I didn't say financial statement analysis. I said financial analysis, which includes the financial statement, but it's also kind of that business acumen. We get to look at our industry, look at the trends, look at the economy, look, we're all, and then now let's look at the numbers, and that becomes part of the decision-making, but not the sole part of the decision-making. Right. You still have to understand those numbers in order to tell the story. I was having this very conversation last night. We were, I was with a, with a small group of entrepreneurs, and one of them was asking me, they were saying, so, you know, how do you know when you're looking at a set of financial statements, whether you're doing well or doing badly? What do you look at? And that's actually a really good question. It's a mm -hmm. really, really good question. And it goes to the heart of why this is so important. Because if you don't really understand the accounts, if you don't really understand the financial statements, you're not going to be able to do any meaningful analysis. You're not going to be able to ask the right questions that, that require you to act to change the numbers in the way that you want them changed. When somebody asks me that question, I go, it depends. They go, what do you mean it depends? It depends on how we did last year. How it depends on what we did two years ago. We compare. Once we have the numbers and we put them, we, we through use of percentages to kind of balance a level playing field to get rid of the whole numbers, then, okay, now I can tell you if I did better this year than last year or vice versa. But just on the face of it, just because we're showing a profit, but if I, I don't have that to compare to, I, yeah, I really and also, don't I think not, not necessarily just looking at historically, but, but comparing it to your, to your vision or your intention. I run a program with entrepreneurs, a postgraduate entrepreneurship and innovation uh, program. And these students, they're very different to the type of student who come to, who want to become accountants. And they come with, with business ideas that are a little bit more mature. They've come with business ideas. They've come with a vision. And I actually take them through the color accounting process. And, and, and the output of their module is they have to create an Excel model, which has a P&L, a balance sheet, and a cash flow statement that all integrate with, uh, with a variables table. Sales go up 20%, mm -hmm. costs go up 20%, you know, volumes do this. And everything must, you know, the, exactly what you're just saying. What actions might you take that's going to change the numbers? And remember, these are people who haven't had any financial background or expertise. Mm -hmm. They all, 90% of them, manage to produce a, a working financial model. And what's really interesting about that exercise is they start looking at the financial statements, not as some kind of historical thing, technical thing, but actually they're looking at it and saying, well, what do I want my business to become? 
you know, they'll come to me and, and, and they'll, you know, you'll look at their overheads and there's no overheads in there. They go, well, I'm not going to pay myself. I go, well, why are you doing it? Are, are you serving the business or is the business serving you? You know, what, what's it for? You know, put some, put some big overheads in. Now, what do you need? So, so you can actually help, a good understanding of accounting can help you create and, and actually materialize your vision. I'm not saying you can just sort of sit there and make a spreadsheet and you're going to become rich because you stuck in a spreadsheet. But, right, right. but you know, you can actually go through the analysis and say, what, what, what do I need in order to realize my vision? If, if you produce a load of numbers, you can look at it and say, that's never going to become my vision. I've got to do something here. So being a banker in a previous life, I had a number of entrepreneurs who would come to the bank and want to borrow money on a pro forma or a forecast that was, lack of a better term, malarkey. Uh, the, 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 the assumptions were so, they were not even conservative. They weren't even, they were so liberal and trying to, they're, you know, they're very enthusiastic. They believe in what they do. But if they would know just the numbers and understand just a little bit better, then they can make a more realistic forecast on what they think they can do. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you, Peter. You know, we're a similar age. That's how we think business works. But apparently not anymore. <laughs> you, go, you go in with a ridiculous business plan. You, you say, well, this is going to take, you know, $8 billion before we break even. And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a good plan. Well put. <laughs> I don't understand business valuation anymore. <laughs> Students ask me, what's this business world? I go, I've got no idea. I've got no idea. <laughs> and you know, that, that, that's, an, that's, a, that's an important point. You know, I love accounting. I'm an enthusiast for accounting, but it is defective. You know, it's not good measuring what the value of a business is. It's really not. And, and it's got much worse than it was when we were building factories and we were building widgets and we were turning things out, you know, by the million as, as physical objects. Now we've moved into this sort of intellectual capital world or social capitalism. It's very difficult. Accounting is a little bit behind. You're giving it too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. From a business valuation perspective, it's very much behind. And just for the record, we're both 35 years old because you said we're <laughs> similar age. But, but I, I remember, I don't know, it was back in late 90s, early 2000s, I was teaching this um, now, it was middle 2000. I was teaching the financial statement analysis course in the Wall Street Journal. There was an article about how Playboy was underrated, undervalued, undervalued. Because one, the logo is nowhere on that balance sheet because it's internally generated. They yeah. couldn't put a cost on it. Number two, that, between the artwork and everything else, they said this company is so underrated, but primarily because of the money. And, and how you, I mean, we, we record things on a historical basis. But now I, now, I have studied enough of IFRS that they, they will allow you to mark up your fixed assets to fair value, whatever that is. Yeah, look, it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, I think, there are, I think there are very deep-rooted problems with current financial reporting because of the nature of assets. I mean, if you take, if you, take you know, 100 years ago, an asset would be a factory or a building or some plant or some machinery. Whereas the most valuable asset that you might own today is an algorithm. You know, Netflix says it gets 80% of its views from having suggested something that they, you know, somebody watched the previous time around. So if you, if you look at how did that algorithm get built? Mm. Well, it got built by programmers programming. Where is that all reflected? It's expensed. Mm. So, so all the value creation is now being expensed. There's a, there's a really interesting interview that I think Investors Chronicle did with Barrett Lev. 
And he's a he's an academic who believes quite strongly that financial reports have become irrelevant. And he talks about this quite extensively, this, this idea that value creation is now sitting within expenses. And, and again, going back to that conversation about how do you advise people? How do you tell people how to look at a set of financial statements? I think we've got to be really careful about advising people not to incur expenses. We, in our language, say expenses are transactions that reduce the value of equity. They're, they're value-sacrificing activities, if you right. like. But actually, if you're creating an algorithm or you're creating a social platform or you're creating a marketing platform, actually, that's where you're creating value. It becomes very problematic. There's this fuzzy edge that sits between assets and expenses. And, and I'm, I'm not sure we've quite got to the answer to that yet. Wow. Okay, you just blew my mind. Because that's deep accounting stuff there. And I'm, I'm, I'm following it and I hear you, but I, the value is found in the expenses because we're not capitalized and put it as an asset on the balance sheet because well, the standard setters said we can't. Well, look, look, at it, look at it this way. Look at this way. Going right back to the classroom, debit the window, credit the door. Why are assets and expenses on the same side of the accounting framework? Because you know that, 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 that's, a, that's a good question because because expenses surely they're they're using up value and the assets are the value so how come they sit how come both are debits how come they're both on the left side of the accounting framework and one of the ways that you can sort of conceptualize that is to say well it's a fuzzy edge isn't it is the value that I'm using creating more value or is the value that I'm using being expended and going out the door if somebody comes in and buys books and they take those books and they leave your shop happily with the books sure. There's no, there's no value. But if you're paying a member of staff wages and salaries, whatever, but what they're doing is creating value, is that an expense? Or have they created value for you? It's tricky. But how do you measure that value that they've created? Well, okay, but I mean, how do you, yeah, how do you measure that value? Well, the way, the way accountants always measure things by a historical cost. You know, if you, what, what's the value of the Netflix algorithm? Well, from a historical cost accounting point of view, the hours that every single programmer put into it at their hourly rate of pay, plus all the add-on costs, you know, that's how we value inventory. That's how we would value, you know, that, that, that's the value. No, that's, it's not the value, but that's, that's, that's the historical yeah. cost. That, that, that's the accountant's value of right. the assets, yeah. like the market value of what it's generating back to the organization, into the, uh, into the... Yeah, well, you, you know, th th this leads on to a whole new argument, doesn't it, about what are financial statements for? I have a, a, a colleague who, who believes very strongly that balance sheets should reflect as far as they can the fair value of the assets within the business. My view is I'm quite happy with historical cost accounting. Let the stock market worry about valuation. Okay. You know, and that's what, right. that's what the stock market's for. And that's what the finance people do. Yeah. And, yeah, but they have, and in, order, in, order, in order to keep them employed, they have to at least understand the basis, basics of accounting yeah, yeah. and then how, how do we you know, value it in the marketplace, which is, you know, it's like getting an appraisal on your house. Give me three. Okay. We're yeah. going to take the middle one. And the appraiser's going, what do you want the number to be? Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So there, there's a little bit of fuzziness there. However, I still contend that just having that basic knowledge from a business and personal perspective, but accounting literacy, it will help you manage your investments better. Undoubtedly, absolutely, it will, undoubtedly. It will help you become a better steward to the organization because now you're able to make financial decisions on ideas or uh, projects 
that you're considering to put into play and be able to articulate that to whichever decision maker is going to put the ultimate stamp of the okay on. But a lot of times now we go, well, we want this by this new piece of machinery. What's the return on investment? What's, what's that? No, we go, what's the ROI? What's that return on investment? Well, again, what's that? Because I, I don't know. But just having that knowledge, and they can, do, they can start to assess, oh, maybe this isn't as good as investment as the salesperson is trying to tell me from the vendor company. I completely agree, Peter. I mean, all sorts of decisions it can help you with. You know, some, you, know you, you come from a, a banking background. You know, sometimes entrepreneurs are too reluctant to take on debt. Whereas actually taking on debt would be a really, it would add fuel to their business and they would, they would get to their vision much faster than they would otherwise um, get it without the debt. You know, debt is not a bad thing. It can be, it can be badly managed, right. but it's, it's not inherently a bad thing. And, and again, I think, I think a fundamental understanding of accounting and the accounting framework and the balance of debt to, to assets and debt to equity and all of those good things can give entrepreneurs confidence and knowledge to make better decisions, definitely. And have better conversations with your CFO, or as I like to call them, the CFNO. <laughs> Well, of course, you know, accountants are inclined to shroud themselves in a sort of priesthood, don't they? We haven't touched on language, but one of the reasons accounting is so inaccessible to people is because accountants quite like it that way. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know if, we, if we're truly honest about it, you know, accountants, you know, we're not quite doctors, are we? Well, we're not no. exactly doctors. We're not lawyers. You might say that's a good thing. We're not veterinary surgeons, you know. So accountants... I think are inclined to sort of say, you know, what we do is actually quite difficult. It's not that difficult. It really isn't that difficult. Um, Those ones who are doing it are a lot older than us, by the way, <laughs> because they, they like to make them sound smart. They want to it, sound super, super smart, but this is super, super easy. It's not about you. It's about them. Well, the really stupid thing that accountants have done is that what happens in other realms is they create their own vocabulary. So they'll, they'll come out with you know, something like quantum physics or quarks or electrons or whatever it might be, a very specialized term. What accountants do is they take everyday language and give it a specialized meaning, like expense or income. And then all of a sudden, everyone thinks, oh, yes, I know what that is. And accountants go, no, 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 that's not what an expense is. And so, so we're taking very common language and using it in very specialized ways, which just adds to everybody's confusion. And, and quite a lot of accounting education is about unraveling those common terms and saying, okay, you think you know what an expense is, but actually this is how accountants are using that term. And that's why you can have more meaningful conversations with your accountant, because you actually understand how they're using uh, language, common language in a peculiar way. You say depreciation to a non-accountant, they go, oh, that's the value I lose in my car when I drive off the new car lot. And the right. accountant goes, no, 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 it's a systematic allocation of an asset over time. Right. Oh, what the heck? <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah. You're, you're right. We've taken everyday language and made it difficult yeah. as it relates to our world versus yeah. just using yeah. Yeah. somewhat yeah. plain English. I mean, we, in, the, in the color accounting, you know, through that process, we... We rarely talk about debits and credits because that gets people all right. turned around. And they start thinking, oh, it's, but, but my, my checking account's the different way. Well, it tells from what perspective are you looking at this? You're looking at it from the organization's perspective. Mm -hmm. Then your perspective will be the opposite, but you know, those, those are just 
some of the many hurdles that we still have. But I, I think I think between the two of us, we have we have a lot of passion for this thing called accounting, especially the way it's presented from the color accounting learning system. We could go on, but I know that you need to get to a meeting here soon. So I don't want to keep you because uh, a pretty big meeting. And I don't want to make you late because then you won't be on my podcast again. <laughs> I'd love to carry on, Peter. There's lots to talk about. Well, we, we will carry on, my friend. Uh, I, I do appreciate your time. This has been an absolute blast. And I'm glad we finally met a, a, a couple months ago. And let's keep this conversation moving forward. And whatever I can do to help you in your quest, just ask. Oh, thanks so much, Peter. I've enjoyed it. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. It has been. And uh, is it tea time there yet? Or is it? I'll be putting twice? the kettle on before I go to my next meeting. <laughs> but, Good. Well, that's only because it's 10 before the hour. That, that, that happens every, every waking hour. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Toby, have a great day. I can't wait till someday our paths will cross in person versus over Zoom. Can't wait. Great. <laughs> thanks, Peter. I want to thank Toby for his time and discussing the importance of understanding the fundamentals of accounting in your professional life. Go out and learn. Say yes. Explore. Find. Absorb. And take your businesses to levels that they may have never seen. I will conclude with an improv quote that's fitting for this interview. There are people who prefer to say yes, and there are people who prefer to say no. Those who say yes are rewarded by the adventures that they have, and those who say no are rewarded by the safety they attain. Be safe out there. Like what you just heard? Visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>